Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Microsoft, Apple, and now Google have all announced native support for passkeys, the next wave of authentication technology that doesn't require you to remember passwords. A New York State bill has been proposed that would require everyone to register in order to buy certain 3D printers because of their potential to print parts for guns. The European Union isn't messing around when it comes to misinformation around the Israel-Hamas war on social media platforms, but we ponder where the fervor was for other atrocities in recent memory. And we shine the spotlight on Trisha Prabhu, who only 22 years old has received worldwide acclaim in the business world. We've got all this and more for you in episode 102 of The Tech Job. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph. And out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. Back to Life, Back to Reality. <laughs> uh, back in town, uh... From my homecoming trip, had a good time. Was transported back when I was in what my late teens, early twenties, which is so weird. So, all right, so I gotta want to for those who went to college or go back to homecomings, whether you're listening live or watching on the replay. I've got a question. What I've noticed, what I thought was dope, but at the same time, I was like, "Where's everybody else?" Uh, it was a lot of familiar faces. Most of the alumni that I ran into or I noticed that was there was from the times that I went in school. Most of the events were being run, whether it be the Greeks, whether it be alumni events, whether it be just random meetups or whatever. Most of the people doing the organizing and running of the kind of like the events were my class or the people I went to school with, my gym, mm-hmm. my particular four year, you know, uh, set of people. And I was curious. Is that because the, the, our age is older than us or finally like, all right, well, we just go to homecoming or we just go back to school to visit, but we're not really involved. And then the groups below us, is it they're still in school so they could care less about trying to organize and plan and run things? I just found it weird that my age range, you know, was doing the most of the work at school. And I assumed it would be either. Um, in co- coordination with the older folks who still kind of feel connected or the younger folks who just got out of school or those are the ones that are most hype about going back to homecoming. So you think they be running things a little bit more? I just found that weird. I have a theory. I have a theory. Um, I wonder if what it is is that most of the stuff that you would be interested in doing at your homecoming are the things that your age group would be interested in doing 
at homecoming. Therefore, the things you paid attention to are the things that interest you. And of course, those are the things that interest your peer group. And the same way that the generation in front of you, those folks who are like, you know, in they, they late fifties to, you know, to seventies, they're interested in some different things. So the show they may want to go to, or the thing they may want to go do is just a little different than what you may want to go do. And clearly them young folks that just graduated, they are definitely interested in some different things than you're interested in. So I just, I kind of wonder if maybe that's what it is because it could be biased. I it think, could be biased. I think too, though, you are, our age group has the most disposable income mm-hmm. right now uh-huh. and mobility and, mm-hmm. and mobility. And like we can afford and still have the energy to go to the most things. We'll spend the most money, um, you know, cause we got, you know, we work and we establish, we want a VIP experience. Cause I know I'm not going nowhere where it's standing room only. Mm-hmm. I need a table and some bottle service. You know what I mean? An older person probably don't want to pay that kind of money. I ain't paying for all that. I need no bottle service. What happened to when you just had to go back to that? You know what I mean? So like, I think our demographic, demographically, our age group, has the disposable income to do the type of events and, and patronize the type of events that are going to make the most money mm-hmm. on a campus. So I, I think, I think it's a, uh, economic, um, phenomenon that you witnessed down there is like okay. who's going, who's coming to these parties and going to spend the most money and who can, who's able to do that. I, I think that's us right now. Yeah, I, I uh, makes sense. It, it completely makes sense because I'm just thinking I'm about to go to in cats homecoming in in two or three weeks and all the stuff we're doing is very age appropriate for Gen Xers. I don't expect my daughter to be hanging out with me a whole lot outside of maybe going to the step show. <laughs> but outside of that, the, she's interested in I'm not interested in, the, you know, and, and things that I'm interested yeah, in. She can't afford to go to. She she is starving yeah, college. The only student. thing is the uh, the inter. I'm not necessarily talking about participating. I'm talking about running it. Like who planned it? Who was doing the social media for it? You know who was setting it up? You know I'm, I'm not necessarily yeah. talking about what we're into during homecoming. I'm talking about the people actually doing the organizing. Like Stephanie said, you know we got the disposal income and we have the most you know, ability to do so versus like the young kids, they ain't got the money like that. And the old kids ain't trying to do all that. You, I mean, the mm. older folks ain't trying to do all that. So they trying to be in bed by 930. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I, I could definitely see the, the, the capacity would be, you know, our age group. That makes sense. But mm. the, the, the main question is, is did you have a great time? Yeah, no, I had a, had a good time. Well, back all my classes, you know, took all, all my usual routes, you know, from the dorms and all that good stuff. The city. Did you uh, go to, did you go to the game? Yeah. Went to the game, went to the game, actually sat down. Uh, cause all that walking around in the tailgate, <laughs> only mm-hmm. take so much of that Jack. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a good time. Um, uh, D nice DJ D nice was there. Saw him two times. He double dipped. Uh, he, he went to an alumni day party and then was also DJing the, um, the tailgate experience for a TSU. So I got to see him two times. Uh, nice. Rick Ross showed up, you know, uh, he played, listened to a lot of the, or he played a lot of the songs that we were, I think he was coming into popularity as soon as we was leaving school, uh, leaving college. So we got the tail, we got the beginning of his music, but he played a lot of stuff that was relatable, you know, um, 
But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than that, you know, had a good old time. Like I said, familiar faces, even now. Uh, truth be told, I don't remember everybody's names. It's like, hey, you. <laughs> What's up, girl? What hey, up, though? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and my wife tried to do the, we tried to do the, all right, you introduce, if you run into somebody, you don't know their name. You introduce me. I tell them my name and then they should tell me their name and then you it are on the works. side listening. So then you get the name, but it ain't work out quite right. I don't, some people I don't even play don't that game, man. I don't even play that game. I'm like, you know what? I don't remember. I just be like, you know, I don't even remember your name. My bad. Charges in my yeah. heart, not my, my head, not my heart. Tell me your name again, please. I don't even play that game no more because yeah. I know. I already know. I ain't going to remember. I already know. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. And uh, let's have a good time talking about some tech. But before we get to the tech, um, I want to change it up a little bit. Since Tech Life Steph is wearing the world famous Tech John pink hoodie, let me let me tell folks where they can go and get some Tech John swag. So if you head over to www.thetechjohn.com forward slash shop, you will find all kind of hats and you know, and, and, and hoodies and T-shirts and and sweatshirts and all kind of stuff the, over the, there. The official travel mug here. Yeah, we got mouse yeah. pads over there. There's some of everything over there. So just head over to techjohn.com forward slash shop. And there's all kind of stuff you can get over there. Any all of that stuff. It all comes to support the show so we can bring this tech to you the way that we bring it to you. But uh, let's get into talking about some of these tech stores. And y'all, I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit. The first one I want to ask you about is have y'all started using Pass keys yet? Because I know that uh, you're both iPhone users, and uh, Apple has enabled uh, pass keys uh, on your devices. But have you started using them yet? No. The short answer. <laughs> what about you, Terrence? <laughs> um, I'm so integrated into Apple's ecosystem. I couldn't tell you if I've used one or not. Um, I can only remember getting the message maybe one time on one website I went to. And it asked to, you set up a pass key. I think it was like eBay. I can't remember because I was trying to. eBay is definitely a site that supports gadgets. Them. So mm-hmm. I think it was eBay. Yeah, yeah, I think it was eBay. It asked me, did I want to go passwordless? And I was like, all right, yeah, 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 sure. But I can't remember outside of that any other time I've actively turned it on. So, and, and just to let people know who are listening, if you don't know what a pass key is, I'm not going to get into all the technical terms because I don't know that I have all that committed to memory. But what a pass key is essentially it is what we're hoping they're going to be what replaces passwords. So instead of you having to type in your username and then remember this password, and we've talked about on the show many times about what all the problems are with using passwords, reusing passwords, passwords getting hacked, you getting fished, all that kind of stuff is that essentially when you're using pass keys, you don't have to remember anything. You just have to go to a particular service or website or app that uses them. And then you're going to register uh, just like you would with a password, but you're going to say, I want to go passwordless. And what's going to happen is that you're going to actually create a private key on your phone. You're going to create basically this giant number on your phone that is only on your phone or on your computer on whatever device you, you authenticate with. And then there'll be public keys that the server um, side of whatever application or website you use will hold. And when you go to log in, you basically just authenticate with your phone. It pushes that over to the website or app that you are trying to authenticate with. 
And then it says, yeah, you're, you're, you're who you say you are and you're just you're in. There's no password that you have to remember to be able to log in. So to explain how that works, if anybody's ever done any type of two factor authentication where you may get like a QR code or something like that and you scan the code and then a number pops up on your phone and then you copy that number and you paste it into the website after you put your username and password in. It's kind of like doing that, except you don't have to do any of that copying and pasting. You don't have to actually type in passwords and usernames and that type of thing. You literally just use your phone. You use your your laptop, anything that can authenticate you. You just use that with. And this technology has been around for a while, but it's just in the last couple of years started coming to the forefront as far as this may be a thing that will replace passwords. And my thought on it was, was that it's cool technology. I mean, it really is. And it could work. But would it actually be good enough? Would, would, Would enough people use it? for it to get mass out mass adoption to where before the next thing that's better than pass keys comes out that we're on to that because in, in my opinion it will take years if not decades to get off the of passwords but well yeah but also i i saw that like you can use you know face id a fingerprint sensor or a pin code mm-hmm. so i'm just like is a pin code more a pin code is not more secure than a password. I know the 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 back end of of a pass key is more secure the 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 key that's getting sent, but the pin code that you would be using to to log in and get to the pass key is going to be far less secure than an actual password would be. So I'm like, does it defeat the purpose? If you're, if it's somebody that's going, cause I, cause I looked at when you sent this story, I, I read through the story and I looked at, you know, the different ways you'd be able to authenticate yourself. And I was like, Oh, I could use a pin code for something. Cause me, I just would more likely, I don't know. That's just how my brain works. I'd be more likely to remember a pin code than be, you know, super invested in using my face ID for something or, or like that, you know, especially on my, on my machine, on my, on my computer. Um, so I was just like, but the pin code is not going to be more secured in a password would be uh, necessarily. So I kind of feel like that defeats the purpose a little bit here. I'm glad you brought that up because here's why that pin code is probably still significantly more secure than what most people use for passwords. When, when (laughs) you will think of it like this, when people or people, when, when a threat actor, when a hacker gets access to your password, they're just going to the site and entering in your username and your password. And that's why passwords are inherently insecure because that's all they need. They just need to know who you are and what you authenticate as in order, in order for them to use your pin, they would also have to have whatever that pin is set up on. So if you set up your pass key on your iPhone, they would have to have your iPhone and your pin in order to be able to authenticate to a website. In my case on, you know, I've got windows PC with finger fingerprint scanner on it. They have to have my laptop and my pin to be able to authenticate device specific. So it's very, it's it's very device specific, but, but still like, okay. So, so somebody steals my phone and knows my pin. Well, then there you go. Yeah. So So they have to be able to get into your phone first. Right. If they know how to get through your phone using your face ID, your thumbprint or uh, your phone unlock code, they got to get through that first. Then they got to get to the right website that uses the pin that they also know, you know, in order to, and then what I was, I think you're missing Stephanie is even when you suggest to use the pin, 
like Rob said, you still have to have the device because the key is on the device. Right. But primarily, once you use the pin, it's still kind of I think you still have to use your biometrics to confirm. And then that triggers the. All right. I'm going to give you the key. Uh, share the key from the device to the website, I think. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. So, you still have to use so, biometric to pass keys. Or use Ultimately, you use the biometrics. See the, uh, your face and, ID, I mean, that may have just face. been for, for Google, you know, and Chrome. Because I, I was just, the, the, the article Rob posted was for, uh, was a, a specifically for Google yeah. post. Yeah. So it could be just be for Gmail that they are allowing a, a pin. Um, and some other sites may not do that. It may just be biometric only, but I just, it, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed, I don't know if redundant is not the right word, but it was like, it just seemed like it defeated the purpose if you were just going to let people use a pin. But I get device, I get the whole device specific kind of aspect of it. You have to have, but people steal laptops and phones all the time too. So they, they do, but you know, I would just say the overwhelming majority. And like, I'm not going to get into percentages, but if I were to, it would yeah, be well over yeah. 99 that, you know, the overwhelming majority of, uh, of threat actors are actually able to, you know, to brute force or, or, or get your password right. and authenticate right. with something. They don't have right. physical access to your device. They just yeah, may have sure. had physical access to the server where your passwords may have been stored or something like that. And that's what they brute mm-hmm. force to try to, you know, figure it out. So this right. is immensely secure compared to that. And Terrence, to your right. point, no, the, the pin is the thing. So it's like you could use your, your thumb, you know, your thumb, your fingerprint. You could use face ID or you could actually use a pin. What you're doing with, you know, by having that pin is that, you know, he, here's what someone would have to do. They would have to physically have your phone. They would also have to know what sites you've actually created pass keys at because there's no way on your phone to go look and say, oh, this this here's a pass key for Best Buy. Here's a pass key for this. That's all encrypted data. So they would have to know, Okay, I'm going to steal your phone, know who you are and know, well, you probably have an account over on this thing. Let me go and try, you know, and try this. I don't want to say that that is something that is impossible, but the chances of someone hacking this is is less you know opportunity for them to do so because most people don't get their phones stolen in that way you know to to the point to where it makes sense for somebody just trying to hack you know passwords that, that that's what they would go after so so let me so let me ask you then what happens if you lose your device so this is where uh i say that it's still going to take years and years and years for us to get off of this or, or get off of passwords because every site that I know of at this point still allows you to use passwords. So if you are like, if I go to my Best Buy site, I can log in using a pass key. But if I don't have my pass key, I can log in using a username and password. If I were to go to eBay and I don't have my, uh, you know, don't have my phone, I, I don't have to log in with the passcode. I can still log in with my username and password. So I'm just wondering how quickly will we get to the point to where the only way for you to authenticate is with your path, with, with your passcode. And then my gut would tell me is that it would be similar to what happens now. What if you have an account, you cannot remember your password. How, you know, what do you do? You've got to go through some type of process to prove who you are and then get your account reset so that you could, in, you know, in, right. in some cases, create a new passcode or in other cases, maybe create a username and password that you could authenticate with. Well, if that's the case, then they should just arbitrarily switch everybody over to pass keys with a pin because now it, you know, is device specific. Yes. But you also only have to remember the pin. So if you don't have the, the device, 
you still have that pin. You, you, you know, you're and saying you can still. I, I've been playing around with it for the last week or so. Since since Google and I, I'm bearing the lead there. Reason I'm talking about this is Google is the last major operating system to enable this. And they've actually enabled it by default. So these are just now on if you're using Android or if you're using Chrome or what have you. Um, but so that means that, you know, Microsoft supports them fully. Apple supports them fully. Now Google supports them fully. But when you create your passcodes, I've created them for fingerprints. I've created them for face ID. I've, you know, in my case, just uh, it recognizes my eyes on my Samsung phone. Uh, I've created them with actual pins. They all work, but they're all different passcodes. You literally can select which one you want to authenticate with, and it gives you that option. So if you wanted to use a pin as a backup in case you lose your device, um, you still are going to have the problem that if you've lost the device, you don't have anything to type the pin on because you couldn't use the pin on another device. You have to use the pin on the device right. that it's tied to. On the device, yeah. But one of the things that I was thinking about that's going to make this um, pretty cool, and the reason I, we're even talking about it, and I put this in the story, is that I happen to be using someone else's MacBook. And we were looking at something for me specifically at Amazon that we were, you know, about to purchase. And I wanted to show it to him so I could either, you know, here pass this around and look on my phone or I'm already sitting at the laptop. Let me just log in to the laptop and I can pull up my Amazon account on their laptop. But normally what I would have to do is, okay, let me go to my phone, figure out what my passwords because I don't remember any passwords. I use a password vault. So now I got to look at my password and I got to go type it in, make sure because my passwords are long. They're probably 20 characters long. I got to type that in. And it's like, you know what? That's just too much pain. Let me just show you on my phone. But using a pass key, just made it simple. I just went to the site, said log in using pass keys, and then scanned a QR code on my phone, hit my thumb on it, and I'm logged in as myself on their machine. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And the other thing that I thought is that people are already trained on how to do that. I think the pandemic really helped out with that because for me at least, and for you know, for for people that I know, they learned how to actually scan QR codes in mass. By going to restaurants and going to places that no longer gave you menus and say, here, scan this, scan to pay, all that kind of stuff. During the pandemic. I'm sorry. <laughs> you could say going where they weren't supposed to be during lockdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But um, people know how to use QR codes. You know, you know how to scan that menu with them. You know how to actually pay with them. So I think that that has probably gone a long way to get people to the point to where, oh, OK, this is just a new way to use passwords. That's how it was for my friend when she said, oh. That's pretty cool. How did you do that? And it's, oh, you know, this is just pass key. It's this new thing. It's built into your operating system. Here's how you turn it on. It took all of a couple of minutes. And, you know, she set that up on her uh, on her PayPal account. And then she also had a Best Buy account. She set it up on there. So, oh, this is pretty cool. So I don't have to use my username and password anymore, which I can never remember anyway. Nope, you can use this. So I just thought it was cool. And I just I was just wondering if you guys were using them yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> All of that to say, no, I am not using passcodes. So I'm going to do my part. The only way that these things are going to be, you know, become mass adopted is people tell folks how to use them, tell folks spread to check the them out, spread the word. And hopefully we will just see more and more and more sites that are using them. I feel way more comfortable uh, using this than using just a raw password with no two factor authentication. So if like when I go to like, you know, I'm waiting for my banking sites to set this up, they are all 2FA, but I would feel okay with using this because once again, 
you don't know my username or password and you have to have my physical device to get in, um, chances of you doing that is, is very, 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 very little. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Stephanie, you stuck this article in here, and it's about 3D printers. And for certain types of 3D printers... Should you actually have to do a background check to find out whether or not the person that is buying the 3D printer is a felon who could potentially 3D print parts to make a firearm? Yeah, I thought this was super interesting. I was like, I wow. So, um, so New York residents eyeing a new 3D printer may soon have to submit a criminal background check if a newly proposed state bill becomes law. The recently introduced legislation authored by State Senator Jennifer Rack. Raj Kumar aims to snub out an increasingly popular loophole where convicted felons would otherwise be prohibited from legally buying a firearm, instead simply 3D print individual components to create an untraceable ghost gun. If passed, New York would join a growing body of states placing restrictions on 3D printers in the name of public safety. The New York bill called AB8132 would require a criminal history background check for anyone attempting to purchase a 3D printer capable of fabricating a firearm. It would similarly prohibit the sale of those printers to anyone with a criminal history that disqualifies them from owning a firearm. It does not clarify, the bill does not clarify what make or model of printers fall under this category. Um, a lot of states have already uh, made it illegal to sell the blueprints for guns, uh, 3D printed guns and and different things like that online. Um, but I thought this was was really, really interesting because there there were a there were a few different layers of of consideration um in this bill, uh, one of which was the First Amendment, because I know this had been challenged at one point in other states. Um on First Amendment violations because they're claiming that, you know, all this all they all the well, the, the the blueprint part of it, the 3D blueprint part of it, um, because they're saying like all it is 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 code and 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 instructions, and how are you telling us we can't sell this type of thing? Um, but then too, like you know, you're are are you infringing on somebody's right to earn a living? Like somebody might decide I'm going to start 3D printing, like my brother in particular. 
3D prints a lot of his, um, he does model trains. He's a big train person and he does the full layout and, you know, builds a lot of stuff from scratch and the buildings and the trees and the, the little trucks and, and everything that goes into one of those very realistic looking little model layouts. And he 3D prints some of that stuff, like, you know, some of the assets that he put and so, and, and he sells some of it. I say all that to say he sells some of those assets on like Etsy and, and different things like that because he weathers them and paints them and makes them look super hyper realistic and stuff like that. So, you know, if he was, if he had happened to be a convicted felon, now you're infringing on his right to earn a living because he can't buy the 3D printer he needs to, to support his art. So it's kind of like, how, how are you, I don't know, how are you justifying this? It, it, it seems like a very fine line. This, this, I get why they want to do it because the ghost gun thing is real and, and, you know, folk are really, folk are being harmed, you know, by the fact that you can print a gun off the internet. But this is a, this seems like a very slippery slope and a fine line to dance on, um, to just ban, uh, 3D printers unilaterally from people with, um, criminal, uh, felonies and charges and stuff like that. I don't know what y'all think. <laughs> what you got, Terrence? Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough to decide who gets one and who doesn't if they do fit the criteria, you know, being a convicted felon, like whatever the case may be. Can they go in and say, all right, well, what kind of convicted felon are you? Which would take longer and then muddy up the waters because maybe it's not as easy as to say, I got arrested, I have nothing to do with guns, or does the does the convicted felony, you know, constitute a a a attitude around crime or is it like the specific crime of assault and battery with a deadly weapon or manslaughter with the use of a dead? You know, what is the the felt the the con- conviction for? Are they going to take that in consideration or is it a blanket thing? If it's a blanket thing, then sure. Absolutely. You know, they this may be a slippery slope. Um, but at the same time, I guess um, we're always wanting our policymakers to be ahead of the curve, you know, yeah. uh, and while ghost guns are a real deal, I don't think it's like commercially widespread to where this is running up crazy numbers to where they should be concerned. But if they wait until the numbers run up and everybody, you know, every two or three news stories you hear on TV has been, you know, a deadly weapon has been a 3D printed involved web. The New York Police Department has reportedly seen a 60 percent increase in ghost guns mm-hmm. seized from city streets for the past two consecutive years. So right. it, it's only going up. It's only yeah, trending. Right. And if mm-hmm. they wait until it gets to some imaginary number like 10,000 reports or whatever case may, it may be too late. So it's like, we want them to be ahead of the curve, but being ahead of the curve means they got to make these tough decisions as to how it affects regular people, you know, in general. Right. And there may be some people, like you mentioned, your brother that may fall through those cracks, unfortunately, you know, uh, and we don't want to, we definitely, well, don't he's not do a that. felon, so he won't fall. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. In your, in, in your, in your theory, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, to say. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in reality. Let, right? Let's go on record. My brother is not a convicted felon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Steph, what was you doing on your show? People out here thinking I'm out here living some kind of life. So, so here's my yeah. thought on this. No, 
I'm I'm not a fan of this at all. So 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 let me put some disclaimers out there. I am a strong proponent of gun reform and sensible gun laws and this and that and the other. However, this is not it because you are potentially going to preclude as as in your scenario, Stephanie, someone who well I didn't actually print I wasn't planning on printing ghost guns. I was going to make 3D these little figurines and stuff like that for for trains that I do and that I sell as part of my business. What does that have to do with making guns? So you're saying that, well, because I am a felon, I can't own something that potentially could make a gun. Can you own a hammer and an anvil? Um, Can you own a CNC machine? Can you I be a tool and die knives. maker? Yeah. I can still own, you know what I mean? It's, there, yeah, it, there, there's, it's a brute force way of dealing with a problem that yeah. I think just overreaches. Th- this is what I initially thought. So there are, uh, there are sex offenders who, when they get out, they, they literally are forbidden from using the internet or having computers. There are people who have committed fraud using a computer. They get out. They're, they're on parole. They are no longer able to use a computer. They're not allowed to have smartphones unless they've actually been approved by their parole officer. I don't see this being any different. If you are out on parole, then you should not necessarily be, be able to go buy one of these uh, printers. But I don't know that you go and say, well, everybody who buys a printer, we've got to do a background check because we're not doing background checks on everybody buying computers. We're not doing background checks on everybody buying smartphones. And they're felons in the same way that have actually been told that you cannot use these things. So folks are going to say, well, th- you know, the guns could kill people. I understand, you know, I do understand that. Um, cars could kill people. If you, if you were someone who was locked up because you murdered someone with a vehicle, when you have served your time and you get out, you're out on parole. Are you, if you're not able to own a vehicle, if you're not able to drive a vehicle, well, that's on you, but we're not going to go make everybody who buys a vehicle have to go through some database to register just in case we want to catch someone who is buying a car who shouldn't be buying one. That that's what yeah, this feels like to me. The other way around too, you know. We we also carry driver's licenses that uh, don't need one to buy a car to be of a no require driver's license, not necessarily to buy a car, but require driver's licenses to where if you get pulled over for doing something, and then they had then they can check your license to see all right X Y and Z right. Um, I guess my point is we want the police when something happens. We always want them to stop being so reactionary, stop being so reactionary, you know, but the proactionary part is going to be a tough uh, on, on, on us as well, as well, because it will exclude some people. So the question is, well, which one we how, how you know, which one do we want? We want the police to be proactionary, you know, and that's going to upset some people. Or do we want them to be reactionary? Like you mentioned, if they get busted on something and they get out on parole, then they can't make a printed gun. But the damage is already being done. Because they went to prison and then had to get out, so it's like, how do we do the dance, right? I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I, I have, I think I agree with Rob on this point. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to walk in Best Buy and have to submit my ID to buy a 3D printer just because the potential is there for some criminal to buy a 3D printer and 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 build a gun and print a gun. Um, I. I, I don't I don't think the ends justify the means in this point in this case and and penalizing everybody for the actions of a few and I and I look at this as penalizing everybody the fact that you're forcing 
every every person to submit to a criminal background check um, just for the you know privilege, I suppose, of of buying a three D printer is penalizing those people who haven't done anything and who aren't convicted felons. Um, I I just don't know that you can penalize the many for the few in this particular case. I yeah, just I don't a, I don't see it. Yeah, I have no problem if we were to change our our gun laws that you have to register to get a gun. You have to we're we're going to do a background check. You know, in order for you to get this gun, we're going to look to see whether or not you've actually are a felon and can't have a gun before we sell the gun to you. I'm in favor of all of that. But when you start saying, but we we also want to put those rules on things that potentially could generate guns. And it's like, well, like I say, if you give me a hammer and an anvil and enough time in <laughs> source materials, you come up with a gun. That's that you know that that's how they used to make them. No, no, seriously, gunsmiths. We're doing here. No, I'm. I I know this is facetious, you know, argument, but it is real. If you have a hammer and an anvil and source material, and you if you've got some ridiculous blacksmithing skills, you could create muskets. You could. That's how they were created before they were mass produced. Uh, or okay, well, let's 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 move into the 20th century. You got a CNC machine. You got to go get a license for that. You know, you're a tool and die maker. Um, you know, you have to run background checks on everyone who is now a tool and die maker because they actually have the skill set to where they could actually go and create guns. You know, on lathes and smithing machines and all this kind of stuff that you know the tools that they use. Shout out to uh, skill trades. Um, I think that that's just a that's a bridge too far for me to where we're not just going to check to see whether or not you should be able to buy a gun or not because you have a record. We're going to check to see whether or not anyone should be able to buy a gun or, you know, buy a machine that potentially could create a gun. Right. I, that, and, most people aren't using it for that. So, and that's the thing. And, and Shia makes a great point. And Sarai, both Shia and Saray make great points. It's like, we all know how our government works and mm-hmm. we know that they don't do anything as definitively as they as they should they already said in the article that they haven't defined which 3d printers are going to be you you know on this list and 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 so and the and then so now you get into the area of privacy and what are you doing with all this data now you're 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 getting this criminal background text for everybody that wants a 3d printer where is this data being stored? How is it being stored? You know, who who's in charge of this information? Is this information being sold? Is it like it's just our government doesn't do well when it comes to those questions. Um, and I would not trust them with my personal mm-hmm. information just because I went into Best Buy looking to get a three buy a 3D printer for my kid for Christmas. And now all of a sudden I'm on some list. You know what I mean? Like, nah, nah, that's that's not cool. Mm-mm. That's not cool. No, I'm not down yeah. with that either. Yeah, that's not cool. They got to do something. I agree, but this this ain't the something. This ain't the something. I know they need to they need to go back to the to the drawing board and get some people who understand this issue a little bit because I feel like, you know, they're in these rooms coming up with these ideas but not actually consulting with people who understand the issue well enough. Cause I can't think that like somebody in tech would have been like, yeah, just, just put it, do criminal background checks on 3D printers. Like I, I can't think that somebody in tech would have mm-hmm. suggested something like that. So I feel like, you know, ask the people who know 
and and might be able to give you a more viable solution to what is what is a, a definitely a 21st century problem and a technical problem um, and and work with the people who could actually give you a solution that doesn't require, um, you know, violating people's civil rights. So, y'all, we didn't talk about this last Monday. Uh, because it was it was still fresh and, we, you know, we hadn't heard any stories that were coming out other than just the, you know, you know atrocities that happened. But for those who are listening somehow don't know, there is a war going on in Israel right now. And Hamas, which is rated a terrorist organization, attacked Israel last Saturday, uh, Saturday of not this past week, but the week before last. And it's just a lot, a lot of bad things happen over there. Folks being murdered, uh, tortured, this type of stuff, kidnapped. There's also the response from Israel that is happening in Gaza and the Gaza Strip right now to where there are a lot of whole folks that have nothing to do with Hamas who are paying ultimate prices with their lives for, for them going and trying to root out, you know, this terrorist organization. So I just want to put that out there. There's a lot of human toll that is going on. But I do want to bring it around to the technique angle on this because the EU, they ain't messing around at all when it comes to misinformation about this war and what's going on. So the European Union is they basically their industry chief, uh, Thierry Brighton issued. And this is last Wednesday that uh, this happened. They issued a 24 hour ultimatum to both X and to uh, to, to Meta where they wanted a response on. What are you doing to combat all of this misinformation, disinformation that's showing up on your platform about what is happening between Israel and Hamas? And uh, X's CEO responded back within that 24 hour window. But uh, her response, Linda Yaccarino, her response was I I don't want to say that it was vague, but it was not specific on we're doing this thing. We're doing that thing. We're doing the other thing. And so Thierry Brayton um, sent another letter out and says, well, you know what? Now we're launching a formal investigation. Here's what we want. You've got a week to respond. That same letter went to Meta. Meta, however, their response was a little different. They came out with specifics. They said that we're setting up an operation centers with Hebrew and Arabic speaking experts. Um, we're, we've removed 795 distinct pieces of content before you even contacted us uh, you know, about this over the last three days. They, they're very specific on what they were, what they were doing, how they're going to combat this. And the EU, they have not, at least at this point, to my knowledge, they have not come out and said, oh, we're going to investigate you further as well. You got a week to respond to these additional things. So I just want to kind of get your take on that. I, you know, I, I wish that we had these kind of laws here to where you just couldn't be putting all kind of crazy stuff on these social media platforms and saying it's just First Amendment. Um, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how the EU is responding to just misinformation, different disinformation on that is showing up on these platforms and, you know, the potential dangers of it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, I appreciate what they're, what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, cause misinformation is, is a problem. You know, you don't want to say, you don't want to be all what about with, with stuff like this, but <laughs> I can't help but think about a situation that didn't happen too far in the past um, 
where we didn't get this kind of, you know, I mean, because, you know, shout out to to who was the guy? Terry. What's his name? What's their name? Terry Brighton. And, yeah. And, and, and throwing down the, the gauntlet and the, and the, and saying you got 24 hours like like Colt Kirby. You got 24 hours to respond and all of that and, and, and all of that. But, you know, when Rohingya Muslims were being slaughtered uh, over in Myanmar, who, who was yeah. doing anything? You know what I mean? Like, and when Amnesty International said that Facebook was kind of directly responsible for that genocide, um, <laughs> you know, like, like this, this got activated very quick. And like I said, I'm not mad. You know, we, we need to get rid of this information wherever it rears its ugly head, but it just, it, it never, it never sits well, when you could have done this and you should have been done this long time ago. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 there's so many layers to what's going on over there right now. And, and this just folds into it. I, I, I don't even know what I want to say about it. But um, yeah, like, yeah. What's your thought, Terrence? Hopefully... Hopefully this uh, helps everybody. Uh, I'm with in agreement with Stephanie. They could have done this a long time ago, and there's probably reasons why they didn't, and there are probably reasons why they're doing it now. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, I guess the ends justify the means. I guess I don't know. Hopefully, this will be uh, put across the board, and when other stuff in the future comes up as it relates to you know, crimes against humanity or misinformation in general, if we're talking tech, you know, hopefully this gets uh, spread out across the board to where other groups, other um, countries, other ethnic backgrounds, everybody gets to uh, use this to their benefit to where information is not being spread, you know, but Stephanie's right, you know, it's like a lot of other things have been going over the past week. It has been met with furious <laughs> response. And, right. you know, <laughs> it, it prior to this, you know, it's so very hard to do this. And we got to do X, Y, and Z and this and that and the third. And oh, then, yeah. It was impossible. You know, it's impossible. It's there's there's 2 billion people on the platform. We can't monitor it all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Every, so, mm-hmm. You know, real time. But it's, it's, it's an impossible task. So j- just a couple of things. But so the reason that silver lining, the, the reason that the EU is even able to respond this way to this incident is they passed something called the Digital Marks Act uh, a little while back. And that digital, the DMA, it has given them some authorities over the social media platforms on how they deal with what they consider to be misinformation, disinformation, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, um, you know, Stephanie, I absolutely know where you're coming from and feel the same thing. It's like, well, you know, I want to say nothing was happening to people a little bit more melanin, but, but, but I, 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 I get that. Maybe they didn't have the laws in place that they could have gone after it. So let's, so I'll just keep it on, on this particular instance. They are really not messing around. And this, this could, this could end up costing these companies, uh, significant amounts of money 
if they don't get their acts together on uh, on this information. And it looks like X, formerly Twitter, is not quite where maybe Meta is, or at least I haven't heard anything yet. I, I need to go back and look at the news tomorrow morning and see if there's something that comes out because my gut would tell me they're probably going to go and investigate uh, Meta as well. Um, they're not, you know, innocent. And, you know, well, my gut is telling me Elon Musk is going to throw a fit like uh, the giant toddler he is and, you know, figure out how to get around all of this, you know, in the in the meantime anyway. And 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 maybe this becomes the nail in the coffin for the platform altogether. I don't, I don't know, yeah, because we'll it see. gets in, in the EU. Who knows? But here's the other part of this. Um, Twitter, and I'm going to say Twitter specifically because X has never been this Twitter at one point, uh, you know, up until about a year ago, it was considered to be with all the problems that Twitter had, it was considered to be like that public place for discourse. It was considered to be, you know, the, the water cooler social media platform. It was a place where, uh, journalists, they could get there. You know, this is what's happening on the ground right now. Here's the picture I took with my camera. Here's the video that I'm live streaming right now. That has always been Twitter. That is, you know, that, that has not carried over to X. Now, granted, since this conflict has started, the amount of those type of news posts that have appeared on X have gone up since they've, you know, recently gone down. But that's not where journalists necessarily want to be. A lot of folks are like, oh, Meta, you need to get threads up so that threads can do this type of thing. And. Um, Adam Osseri, who's the head of Instagram, he also heads threads. Dude came out and said, we flat out ain't trying. I'm paraphrasing what he said. It was like, nah, so we had not tried to deal with news. It's like, if you are putting news on the platform and you're posting it, that's fine. We don't, we're not going to stop you from doing that, but we show enough and not going to, uh, promote it. We're not going to be out here highlighting it. We don't want those kind of problems. Uh, I, I believe that, that Meta has, has made the decision that, there's just not enough money in news for us to be concerned about it. So we're not going to pay you for your news. Uh, in, 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 you know, as far as news organizations, that, that is a big thing that's been going on, you know, throughout the summer. Uh, Canada is the latest place to do this to where you have to go and pay, uh, news organizations to link to their news. So what does Meta do? Now nah, we're good. We're just not going to link to the news. And now the traffic to these sites has gone down precipitously. Uh, Australia did this. Uh, it was either earlier this year or last year. I can't remember when. And, you know, Meta said the same thing. Nah, we're good. We're just not going to link to your news outlets. Their traffic dropped to the point to where they changed their law and, and now is allowing Meta to link again without having, without having to pay. But, the, you know, I think that company has just said, we've been down this road before. Uh, we see what it gets us and it is simply not worth it. We will make our billions and billions of dollars not dealing with news. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's just interesting how social media is changing because, um, you know, I really believe that Twitter, I, I think Elon's going to try to turn this thing into a, just a private membership network to where he can, you know, it's, it's going to kill literally hundreds of millions of people as far as who use it. But if he, if he still got a hundred million, 150 million that are paying, a, you know, a monthly fee, I think he's good with that. And then we'll just do what we want inside of our walled garden. Yeah, I, I really I think that's yeah, where they're going. I don't think they really have too much of a choice at this point. I mean, just the way they decimated what the platform is and what it used to be like, who still even wants to engage on the platform besides the people that are there specifically to cause discord. So 
don't know. So like I said, I just, I thought it was interesting. And it's like, okay, yeah, you, you guys are really, uh, you're really going after, <laughs> going and, after and, these and, companies. And they, like, and they snap too. I mean, I'm just, like I said, I just, I'm, I'm impressed with the way the EU was able to lay the gauntlet down and, and, and the response was right there. And I'm just like, wow, look at what could happen when mm-hmm. you actually, yeah, I mean, care Whenever about you want the, uh, to. right mm-hmm. when you when you when you care about the people being affected. What look what can happen, mm-hmm. and and it, and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. So, y'all, I'm looking at the clock. We're right here uh, towards the top of the hour. And Tech Life, Steph, you had a spotlight that you're going to read for I us this do. week. So, why don't you go ahead and tell me? I want to make sure I'm pronouncing her name right, but it's Trisha Prabhu. Prabhu, yes. Okay. So why don't you tell us about Trisha Prabhu? Well, I got the spotlight in honor of National Bullying Prevention Month. This month, October, is National Bullying Prevention Month. And I thought Trisha Prabhu would be a great spotlight. Trisha Prabhu is a 22-year-old innovator, social entrepreneur, global advocate, and the inventor of Rethink, a patented technology and an effective way to detect and stop online hate. In the fall of 2013, Trisha, then just 13 years old, read the shocking news story of a 12-year-old that took her own life after being cyberbullied for a year and a half. As a victim of harassment herself, Trisha was shocked, heartbroken, and outraged. She couldn't be a bystander and decided to be an upstander. In response, Trisha created the patented technology product Rethink, which detects and stops online hate at the source before bullying occurs and the damage is done. Her globally acclaimed research has found that with Rethink, adolescents change their mind 93% of the time and decide not to post an offensive message. As a social entrepreneur, Trisha has received worldwide acclaim in the business world In 2016, President Obama and the U.S. State Department invited Trisha to the Global Entrepreneurship Summit to showcase her work and share her story with other entrepreneurs. Not long after, Rethink was featured on ABC's hit TV show Shark Tank. In 2019, Rethink was the grand prize winner of Harvard University's President's Innovation Challenge. In 2020, Trisha was named one of the inaugural winners of the prestigious Elevate Prize, as well as an Adrian Chang Fellow at Harvard Kennedy School's Social Innovation and Change Initiative. In 2021, she was the youngest honoree named to Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Impact List. Trisha has also been honored with awards and recognition for her ingenuity in inventing, building, and launching Rethink. For her research and scientific inquiry, Trisha was named a 2014 Google Science Fair Global Finalist. She was also awarded the 2016 MIT Inspire Aristotle Award, as well as the 2016 University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Illinois High School Innovator Award. She also had the esteemed distinction of showcasing and sharing the Rethink technology at the 2016 White House Science Fair at the innovation at the invitation of President Obama. 
for her advocacy, public service, and her commitment to leading an anti-cyberbullying movement. Trisha was selected as a 2015 Global Teen Leader by the We Are Family Foundation, conferred the 2016 WebMD Health Hero of the Year Prodigy Award, and received the Anti-Bullying Champion Award by the International Princess Diana Awards, the Global Bullying, the Global Anti-Bullying Hero Award from Auburn University, and the Upstander Legacy Celebration Award from the Tyler Clementi Foundation. She is also a humble recipient of several other awards, including the Daily Points of Light Honor, awarded by the George H.W. Bush Foundation for extraordinary volunteering and service. Trisha has also sparked a rallying cry against online hate. To date, she has shared the Rethink message in over 100 plus keynotes around the world in three languages, speaking on platforms that include TED, TEDx, the Aspen Ideas Festival, La Cio de las Ideas, SAP, Girls Who Code, the Family Online Safety Institute, universities, schools, conferences, and more. Outside of Rethink, Trisha is involved in a number of initiatives that are close to her heart. In 2017, she was elected Illinois' youth governor, the state's first female youth governor in 28 years. She's also an ardent supporter of empowering women in the entrepreneurial community, whether volunteering her time to teach young women how to code at Girls Who Code or leading SoGal Boston, a chapter of the SoGal movement, which is committed to ending the diversity gap in entrepreneurship. Trisha is working to inspire and support a generation of fierce fearless leaders tackling the world's most important issues. Trisha was selected as a Rhodes Scholar in 2022. Trisha is a Harvard graduate and is currently pursuing her research into social sciences of the internet at Oxford University UK as a Rhodes Scholar. Trisha is doing the damn thing, y'all. How old did you say she was? She is now 22. She started, and I, I picked her specifically because I I was aware that it was uh, National Bullying Prevention Month. And I picked her specifically because when she first created that app, Rethink, um, I, she actually, in my, in my um, presentation for Till Death Do You Tweet, I have, you know, a lot of video clips. Like I use video clips as kind of reinforcement of the messaging that I'm doing. So when I'm talking about, you know, what you might be, what damage you might be able to do to your your digital footprint and social media. I use clips that show kids getting arrested and you know the bullying. But then at the end, I show clips of kids doing positive things online and using social media as a tool and this, that, and the third. And she was one of the kids that was in one of the clips that I used to use back in the day when I first started till that you tweet. And I just thought she had such an innovative idea, and I actually would use. Um, her rethink app as a resource in the parent presentation that I would give. Cause when I talk to the parents at the end, I always include a slide with a whole list of different resources that they could use. And I would also, I would always include rethink as a resource there as well. And it's just so heartening and heartwarming to see that this woman has, you know, from a little girl taking this ball and ran with it and clearly has made, you know, something of herself beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Um, but just really quickly, because there was a, she said there was a lot in there, but it, it's not clear what Rethink is. Rethink is actually a alternate um, keyboard. So you download the app and then it, 
it um, installs an alternate keyboard on your on your phone. So as you're texting, it, it's a little bit invasive, but as you're texting, it's looking at what you're writing. And if it looks like you're writing some, well, it'll ask you, are you sure you want to post that? And just that little break in, in, you know, that little break that, that, and I tell people all the time, kids, I tell kids like, just take a beat before you hit post, before you hit send, just take two seconds, take that beat, look at it again and, and really ask yourself, do I really need to post this? Is this something I really, and that's what her app does. It, it breaks that, you know, momentum when your little fingers are furiously about to talk some shit about somebody or, or bully somebody online. It looks at what you're typing. And if it looks mean, or if there's some, you know, profanity in your tweet, in your, in your, whatever you're typing or, you know, whatever it, it, it asks you before it lets you post do you really want to post that are you sure you really want to post that and just that little prompt i mm-hmm. think gets people to kind of be like you know what that's not nice let me go ahead on and just not do and, and it's just such a brilliant strategy and a brilliant idea and, and a simple elegant solution that, that you know just gets people to, to think twice before they post and and that's literally the message that i try to promote to young people every time I go out to a school. Think before you post. She's 22. So she should be either a senior in college or just had graduated college back like in the spring of of, of earlier this year. And she's got all these accolades and doing all this stuff. Like, she's what, a, a what are we doing? Scholar at Oxford right now. Th- that right. is that right. is ridiculous. And just yeah, to talk about the doing? tech side of this because I do have experience with like sentiment analysis. Um, usually when you're doing sentiment analysis and, you know, um, and that's, that's essentially what this app is doing is looking at what's being written. It's looking at what's the words you're writing and it's running it against the sentiment engine, but it's doing it in real time on your phone. That is freaking ridiculous. Usually these things are running on giant servers and data centers. So like you send an email, the email, it literally is from your exchange server at work is pulling this into this system and it's doing all the sentiment analysis. And then it just puts a hold on whether it can, your email can be sent or not. Same thing with like, you know, these things are built like, you know, you could be running Slack and they can do this kind of stuff. But once again, it's not running on the laptop. It's generally running on a server somewhere with significantly more resources. So the fact that she's able to pull this off on an actual phone the resources of the phone is ridiculous and she, it, and she did it when she was 13 yeah that's nuts yeah that, that that is nuts so that that is a good one that might be the longest uh read yeah, for her bio was yeah her but, bio but here's was the thing crazy. the reason i was it might be the longest one but she is by far the youngest i would say almost every with a, with a few exceptions almost every other uh you know spotlight that we have done would be old enough to be her definitely her parent probably a grandparent if not a great grandparent or a great great grandparent um because she's she's so young so so that was a good one yeah and she deserved all the time to read through her whole i'm like she got receipts on on everything she's doing and i just like i said it i just remember you know easily you know, six, seven, eight years ago, she was one of the first people in my presentation that I used as an example in my presentation. So it's it's nice to see that she's continued to um, achieve and 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 excel and and be successful. So shout out to Trisha. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Well, it's time to go ahead and wrap this show up. So we did not have any new patrons this week, 
But for anyone who would like to support the Tech John, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash the Tech John. That's the Tech J A W N. We've got multiple tiers over there, any one of which gets you access to our live stream and our after party. So for those of you who don't know, the Tech John is also a live stream and we do about a 20, 30 minute show after the live stream where we're just hanging out with our folks uh, in the community and talking about whatever comes up. So once again, if you like to support the show, any one of our tiers helps head over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the tech J A W N the tech John, and you can support us there. With that being said, tech life, Steph, why don't you tell the folks how they can get at you? You can follow me all around the web at tech life, Steph, and check out my website at stephaniehumphrey.com. Pick up the book. On Amazon. <laughs> and you can find me all over the internet at Brother Tech. That's B R O T H A T E C H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we're also at the Tech John on all the things. So come holla at us however you holla. Till we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace.